podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. a Celtic state of mind it's 12.30 it's the Thursday Bulletin I'm Paul John Dykes and today I'm joined by JP Mason and Declan McConville um, to deconstruct last night's performance and exit again out of the Champions League it's four in a row we used to do trebles four times in a row Declan now we're getting bumped out of the Champions League four times in a row um, just before we went live you were quite philosophical about it Dec what's your thoughts this morning the morning after um yeah, as I said to you just before we came on live, it's almost as if as, as fans we've kind of been preparing for this defeat since uh, February um, when Neil Lennon lost his job and actually probably a time before that when we, we saw that the wheels had came off the bus altogether. And, um, you know, last night was just a you know a complete failure to prepare. And it's, it's on a, a collective of the, the Celtic board and hierarchy who have watched this, you know, fall at their feet and haven't did anything to change it and uh, you know as the tagline says down about the bottom they must back him now and they really must back him now because I fear that if they don't I don't think Ange Postecoglou will stick around for too long This is the, the big thing I'm taking from a lot of his pressers now uh, I often look at a top flight top class uh, manager JP and think to myself, you know, the amount of talking they do to the press, the, the amount of press conferences, a lot of the time they just fall into the same old, same old rhetoric. I don't think we get much of that from Ange, do we? No, um, I got sent a video of him speaking quite bizarrely that he was speaking to the BBC from what looked like, I don't know, was it an airport lounge? Did you, did you see the video? I did, uh, I saw that. Is, is that standard practice to interview a, a manager in an airport lounge on Zoom? Like, I, I, I don't know, maybe maybe they ran out of time at the stadium or something like that, but I thought that was really weird. There's somebody sent me it this morning, a uh, Rangers fan who I'm friends with. I do have friends who are Rangers fans. That happens from time to time in people's lives. Um, and uh, he was like, oh, you you have different views on football to me. Uh, I'd be interested to know your thoughts on this. And I haven't responded to him yet because uh, I, I, you know, I couldn't be bothered, really, to be honest, because I don't know if he was digging for some sort of reaction from me or not, because he's quite, he can be quite snide in that way. And it's, 
it's not been it's not been pleasant over the last uh, year. Put it that way. It was, this is the same guy that texted me uh, while we were two one down at Ibrox, and I was at the game, and uh, he was like, "I hope you're enjoying the bouncy to your left." Um, and then Edward, you know, scored the winner, and then I, I texted him when I, I didn't reply at the time, but I texted him when I was coming out of the stadium and said, uh, "Yeah, they've stopped bouncing now." Funny that. Um, <laughs> Didn't get a reply to that. And, uh, and anyway, so uh, he texted me that that video with Ange Postecoglou, and I watched it. And you know, I I, I, I thought, you know, what really a refreshing approach. You know, that, that this is a guy who's walked into a burning building. You know, mm-hmm. with you know uh, a water uh, pistol, a water pistol, basically. Yeah, yeah. And and, and at no point, at no point, do I apportion any blame to him for that. The fact that we didn't get absolutely horsed either at home or away by that team who are not that great aside, let's face facts, but we were going into that team, into that game with, you know, a, a, an absolute, you know, uh, horrendous, not horrendous, but a, just a, a naive and, you know, lack of streetwise uh, yeah, from, from, the, from the players. It's just, it's just, we weren't ready for it. And he knew that, we knew that, we knew that for a long time. We knew that from the countdown that countdown wasn't going towards something that was suddenly going to wave a magic wand and we were going to have a team that could compete in the Champions League. So um, I, I, I thought it was refreshing. I just, I, like Declan said, I just hope that there isn't fallouts now as a result of it because, you know, he, like I said, he can, he, he can only do what he can with the tools that he's given and and uh, there was a lot of blunt tools. Yeah, you're absolutely right. See the thing, JP, I just think we're at that stage now where we need brutal honesty, you know, and I think that that whole period of time when we were without a manager, Declan, and apparently uh, we were lining up a manager and that manager was Eddie Howe, and we really messed that whole process up because we had no agreement because, I mean, you can't just uh, rely for that length of time on a verbal agreement and then obviously because you're, you're setting yourself up for exactly what happened to Celtic. So what JP says is right. And, and, and you know, I've not seen any uh, or very few Celtic fans who are, are blaming Ange Postacoglu for what happened last night. I think we came as close as we possibly could under the circumstances, going into that burning building with a, a water pistol. But it is so refreshing as a Celtic supporter when you don't get fed the same bluster from the manager when he gets an opportunity to speak. So he's posed a question by a BBC reporter, uh, and I love the way, and he does it like no one else. In fact, it reminds me a wee bit of that scene on Dead Man's Shoes. He uses the word mate, but you know you know his mate, right? Mm-hmm. So it was that scene with Paddy Considine, JP, brilliant, where he goes, yeah, yeah. You, you're, you're, you're there, mate. You're there, mate. So yeah, he says yeah. to the BBC report and he calls him mate, you know, strong words, mate. You know what he's actually thinking isn't the word mate. And he uses it brilliantly. But he wasn't taking it because the BBC reporter came back for another bite and another bite. And I think that Ange conducted himself really well. But what he got through during that, that discussion was a message. And that, that, you know, hence this uh, headline today, it was a message that he's continually speaking to people who aren't acting fast enough. And he actually says that he's not doing it, he's not being convinced enough, so he's taking responsibility for not convincing the people that we need reinforcements. So it is refreshing, Declan. How long does that last, though, that frustration? Like you say, do you honestly think a man who is now, I think, 48 days in the job would possibly say, this isn't what I signed up for? Um. I don't think Liam McLeod was probably expecting some of those answers from last night because it was very tough on him. And uh, 
yeah, don't think he got a very nice time, Liam, in the old uh, Zoom last night for the man's, but it was strong language he was using, but we're in a, a situation that probably merits that type of language at times. But if you look at, um, it was a really good point made on Twitter last night, if you take go back two years, the Clues game, we obviously get dumped out 4-3, Celtic Park, and we go out the Champions League. We then take on the same Clues team a month later, Fraser Foster's in the door, Elinus is in the door, and we beat them 2-0 at Celtic Park. Is this another going to be a repeat of this situation? We've got Furuhashi in a hotel room. We've got Starfelt, who wasn't in quick enough that he couldn't join up for the team for this game. I hope there'll be more coming in, a right back and possibly a goalkeeper and a few other additions to the squad that adds to the team. But I don't think any of this, to me personally, is on Ange Postecoglou because he is obviously assessing targets. He knows the players that he wants to bring in. He knows the positions he needs strengthened, but it's not happening quick enough. That isn't down to him. It's not as if this is just a situation that's that's changed under him. We've seen it on repeat and it's likely going to be that same situation because we could end up facing Midgieland um, in the group stages and you then you would see whether there's been a change over that course of time. But like Clues before and there's probably been other games that you could take, I feel that that's the repeat of that situation. Once again, being underprepared at the wrong stage of time and then getting the, the people in that we need and it just sticks a sticky plaster over, you know, a, a situation that, you know, you could probably hark back, right back to, you know, Legion of Warsaw, then Maribor. We got two bites at the cherry that year. It was seven mm-hmm. years ago. Nothing's really changed in that time. I think uh, it's a great point, Dick. And, you know, I'm probably on the, the side of the argument that would say if we were to play that same Michelin side in a couple of months, three, four months' time, I do think it would be a different story. I, I absolutely do. You can see the building blocks are slowly um, being assembled by Ange Postacoglu. But there is also the other side of the argument where people are, you know, they're criticising Ange's inactivity last night, particularly with uh, changing things. So Stephen Sloan comes in, Ange has no plan B. Uh, He only made one change in the 90 minutes and it was uh, like for like. The Danish manager made five changes and him and his assistants shouted to the players for the entire game. JP, what um, proportion of blame, if any, do you place on the gaffer for last night? I mean, my biggest disappointment, I guess, was the way that uh, we kind of died in in extra time, particularly in the second phase, the second uh, half of extra time. I didn't have any kind of confidence that we were going to get back into the game at that stage. No, no. I mean, I know they were talking up. Talking up a Yeti when he came on, and Chris Sutton was sort of saying, "Right, let's you know, let's see what a Yeti's got." I mean, we haven't seen barely anything from Albion a Yeti in this whole time. I don't know how we probably possibly thought that he was going to suddenly turn into you know um, Chiesa in in the second half of an extra time period where we needed a goal. You know, it, it, I I did not see that happening at all. I, I, I pretty much. Because we've seen this film so many times, and by the way, just I just thought of when Declan was talking, this is like because we've seen this so many times. It's like it's like the police academy series. They just they're just getting progressively worse. You know, the police academy films just got so bad towards the end that you just you didn't bother with them. And I hope that's not what's going to happen here. That we just uh, we've seen this so many times. But what I thought last night was that this this cannot happen again. This ill-prepared nature of going into Champions League qualifiers cannot happen again. You know, you could give maybe Dominic Mackay a bit of pass because he's not long in the door. COVID, difficult to get players in as quick as you want them to. But we cannot. This is That was the worst last night that we've ever gone into a Champions League game because of the newly recruited manager and having had hardly any time to work with the players. Guy just commented there saying, 
oh, you know, Mitchell and manager did this, Mitchell and manager did that, and has no plan B. Hardly any of those guys are his players. Some of them want away, clearly still, um, and he's not got his his players in the door yet. He's not had time to really develop his own strategy properly within the club. He's, you know, that's why he said last night that it's not a catastrophe because it would have been a catastrophe if all his building blocks were in place and all the signings were in place and then they didn't do anything. You know, if Starfelt had played last night and we'd gone out, if uh, Furuhashi had been there, you know, whoever else. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing. So, like, next year, when we're going into this, if he fails with what he's built over that year and we are, are a, we're in a state going into next year, then say what you want about Postacoglu, but I'm not having his, his tactics being compared to, to the Mitchell and manager. Mitchell and manager is at a completely different point with a different team at a different stage in their in their development and I just I just don't I don't see how you can you can throw it at him. I think we did really well to even take it to extra time, let's face facts. With that with that defence, that 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 defence, you know, no disrespect to them because they're only they're the only people we have to play. It's yeah. it's, it's not their fault, you know, like they're they're nobody's throwing knives at those players for having failed us. We just didn't have anybody else. And you're asking these guys to go into Champions League level qualifiers with huge pressure to go and perform. Chances of the chances of a mistake getting made were so high, and obviously they, they happened. So you see the big thing there about the point about the plan B. I'm going to say this: he didn't have a plan B, but I don't blame him. He didn't have a plan B because he doesn't have the players. So you look, no. you look at the the bench, JP. What are you going to do? Seriously, what what changes will you make? Well, you can write off any changes in defence because we're already wafer thin there. I mean, the only option on the bench, uh, you know, Bolingoli or or Urayiri. Um, <laughs> That's an know. absolute joke. You've got a yeah. guy who let, let the whole club down, who shouldn't be anywhere near that squad, and he's he's one of the guys that you you'd, you'd be looking to go to in the bench. Yeah. I mean, my, my personal opinion is that Bolingoli should be absolutely nowhere near that team, and the fact think- is that. The fact is that he is because of the situation that we're in where we've not signed anybody, you know. 100%. We, we said that a few weeks ago, the fact that um, Tony Ralston, who, by the way, I'll come back to because I had no yeah. issue with his performance last night, um, and Griffiths, uh, pre the, the, the latest um, off-field uh, issues that he um, has been involved in, and Bolingoli, all three of those players are only um, still at the club because of the predicament that we're in, because of the poor management of, of squads, um, the, the the planning, the succession planning's not been in place. So there was no, absolutely no option at the back. You, you'll go into the midfield, you know, are you bringing on Shaw for, for Sorrell? Um, are you bringing in uh, Rogic for Turnbull? I mean, th- these are basically the only options you've got, because then you're looking at players like Robertson, who has very little experience at this level, um, Forrest obviously was an option and we utilised them and he, there was a change in dynamic when he came on and of, of course the other one is a Yeti so I, I think in one way Stephen Sloan's right there wasn't a plan B but uh, what I would add to that the caveat to that is because he doesn't have the players you know he's looking on that bench and I, I think he's looking at the bench thinking I'm not confident enough to make the change be that you know Eduard for a Yeti which he didn't make because he brought on a Yeti as a second striker um, or bringing on you know, some of the, you know, Forrest, bringing on Forrest for a badder. That was probably the only two options that he really had that could have made a difference. I know we still we still harbour beliefs, Declan, that Tommy Rogic's still that player that, that we knew and loved. Uh, he's not 
quite shown it since uh, Ange Postacoglu's came in yet. But surely the fact that there was a lack of plan B is down to the fact that there's a lack of talent on that bench. Yeah, it, it harks back to what we were talking about earlier. The signings that he's, you know, he's not got a, you know, depth of quality on that bench. He's got really nobody to turn to. And you saw the bare bones when we had pre-season games. And that obviously when the Scotland players were away, he, he couldn't turn to the end. So the teams that we were fielding. And then last night we finished a, with a back four of Ralston, Welsh, Murray and Montgomery. That isn't on the manager. That is on the, the people at the top. Not really, Because we all knew we needed a right back. You know, Lustig, when he left the club, he was an experienced player, a big character in the dressing room. Yeah. His legs were gone. It was fine to sell him, but you need to replace him. We brought in a young player from Manchester City in Frimpong. Yes, he made money off him. And we brought in El Hamid, who obviously departed the club. We benefited financially off Frimpong. What did we replace him with? A loanee from Everton. So since Lustig's left the building, no replacement. You know, Ayer's replacement comes in eventually when Ayer leaves the club. So we wait, wait, waited. It's the same old story every single time, Paul. Just, you know, that inability as well as that. Julian Julian hurt his knee against Indy United in late December. That was seven months ago and we still haven't signed a replacement centre-back to cover that position. We knew in December that we needed another centre-back in the door. I mean, never bought one. We turned <laughs> back to near beat on and looked to trust the two young guys. Not their fault, but that's what happens when you prepare to fail. So it's... It's not in the manager that that squad's so light. It's on the board because, as he said, you know they've not listened to him when he's wanting to bring in players, and that isn't <laughs> down to him. It's, it's not on him. So I think he's he's freer, um, you know, responsibility. And that's probably something the Celtic board won't like that they've got no shield now because yeah. last season they did have a shield. They don't have a shield this season, and I think Postecoglou is going to be really honest, and there'll be a few home truths that a few of the guys in suits won't like. I think that's a great point really well made Declan uh, Postacoglu you know um, is not going to be the fall guy at this stage JP the words the words that he used was I haven't done a good enough job convincing people we need to bring people in now sitting here JP uh, surely surely that board uh, realises that you don't go into a European game this week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. A European, a Champions League qualifier, um, and rely on an 18-year-old Dane Murray, who, and I, I keep reiterating this, I thought played extremely well under the circumstances, both last night and in the first leg. You don't give him his first senior start in a Champions League qualifier. I mean, you've heard the situations previously, JP, where there's been an outbreak of some kind of illness or there's just a, an incredible uh, misfortune when it comes to injury. And, you know, we have seen that in the past. Mm-hmm. That, that's not where we are just now. <laughs> As Declan says, the issues around the centre-half position have been at least um, evident since December when Julian got, and probably before then, when we realised that the signing of Duffy wasn't working out, JP. So surely, you know, they, those words, and I know that we do, you know, we really look at every nuance at Celtic Football Club and we read into everything, but those words, 
He's not convinced the people we need to bring people in. Surely they weren't uh, prepared to go into that burning house fire with a water pistol, JP. Well, I mean, I think they seem to think that that was, you know, all pointing fingers and saying, oh, well, you know, we've, we've made efforts or whatever, or we've tried. But I looked at this last night, uh, sort of late on, I, I started thinking about Celtic manager, the Celtic managers in the last few years and, you know, who's been responsible for recruitment. Whoever, at some point, midway through Brendan Rodgers' tenure, summer 2018 was when it changed. So, see, every signing from summer 2018 onwards, um, I can hear that noise. Can you hear that noise? Yeah, but is it? Like a shuffling noise. Sorry, I don't know if it's me or what, but um, I'll try and stay completely still so that I'm not... I'm I'm, I'm good. I can't hear it, so it's fine. Okay. Uh, And so I was thinking about the, the summer transfer window of 2018, that was the last time I think that Brendan Rodgers had a, an actual say in the signings. Because now, correct me if I'm wrong. I think in Cham came in in that window. I think I think seventeen. Was it seventeen? Yeah. Right. Okay. I've made a mistake there then. But I think summer 2018. Just looking at the transfers in that window, beyond that was when it started to change. Winter of of uh, uh, 2019. When did when did Compare come in? Uh, January 2018, I think. I'm sorry. Was it? January 2018, yep. Was it? Right. Yep, because he played missed. against Morton in the, the March 2018. Right, it's the January 2018 transfer window when things started to change. Whoever started to change the recruitment and wasn't involved in Rodgers and there weren't Rodgers signings, that changed at that point and it's changed ever since because you can be guaranteed that the signings that came in when Neil Wennon was manager were nothing to do with Neil Wennon. They were just presented to Neil Wennon and he was expected to work with them. And they've, by and large, been pretty bad. They've not, they've not, there's not been many good ones, is there? I mean, you can't, can you really remember any good signings in the last two or three years? Well, you, you've got me looking and I'm looking at the uh, the incomings, JP, just uh, because obviously Declan's got a sharper brain than me when it comes to dates. <laughs> um, but I'm going back to, you know, 2018. Uh, we're looking at uh, players such as um, Scott Scott Bain, Eduard, Izagiri, Arzani, Malumbu, Benkovic, Burkway, yep. Bio, Sved, Gutman, Perez, Toyan. So there's a there really is a trajectory, isn't it? And it's a downward scale. Um, yep. and I think it continued on that scale ever since, hasn't it? Really? There's been a couple of exceptions. I think um I think we've got a wee bit lucky. A wee bit lucky with Frimpong. I mean, obviously, oh, we, you know, but uh, there's been a couple of exceptions. But generally speaking, yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that, to be honest with you, JP. And, and I and think... And which has led us to this point, which has yeah. led us to this point of having to field a team with inexperienced young players and a mixture of players who don't want to be here because they've not been sold at the right time and it's been bad, you know, poorly managed, poorly, poor squad management from the top. You know, as soon as a player's indicated he wants to leave, then they should just be going all out to, to get him out the door. None of this, oh, stay for 10 in a row or stay for nine in a row or anything like that. I shouldn't even come into it. If a player genuinely is wanting to go, I don't. I, I really don't understand the argument of trying to keep him. And again, we've had to field players last night who we understand may or may not want to go. And do you know what? It says a lot about Postacoglu that they actually played for him. Because I thought Ryan Christie played. I, I, I don't have any qualms about Ryan. I've, I've, yeah, I've bashed Ryan Christie in the past. I'll admit that because I didn't think he was, you know, giving it his all. But I can't can't fault him. But you know, there's only so much one player or a couple of players can do. If your if your entire defence is fragile, then 
you're 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 definitely um, going to struggle. Now let's talk about some of the players. Then Declan Strange, love the doctor, comes in to say before the pylon starts on every Celtic player. I would just like to say, please try and show a little patience for Angie and the boys. There are no quick fixes in this game. Um, I think it is important to look at one of the points JP made there. Certainly on the on the Ryan Christie front, there were some. Uh, decent performances. Now, I've already mentioned, and I mentioned last night following the game when emotions are high, that you know the, the very fact that we're having to give an 18-year-old his first competitive start in the Champions League qualifier is on the board and I stick by it. But he played particularly well. Declan, I think there was one point last night where he's made a, a slight error, nothing came of it, but he's booted the ball at the park where there was a couple of easy passes on. Um, he'd done so, so well, but you know, not every player responds in that way when they're thrown in to a situation like that. I think uh, Welsh had concerns last season when Welsh was thrown into the Celtic team when we were low on confidence, we weren't getting the performances and we were playing Rangers and we throw Welsh in. I think he's done particularly well to come through that. You know, he's maybe 23, 24 games into his Celtic career now. And uh, even when we do bring in another centre-half, I think Welsh will play plenty of games. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's start talking about some of the, the performers. Last night, I actually echoed what, what JP said, you know, when I was talking about Christie, because um, my, my co-hosts didn't agree with me. They didn't think that, that Christie had had a great game. I thought he worked really, really hard. He, he seems a lot more disciplined uh, because previously Christie was all over the park, but not in a good way. You know, he was spreading himself too thinly. Um, I think last night it, it was a very disciplined performance. There was a couple of occasions where, you know, he played through balls that almost created an opportunity. Uh, I still think he's creative. If he's a guy who wants to leave Celtic Park, I think he's still approaching it um, in a better way than, let's say, Odson Edward because he was the other end of the scale for me, and I thought that was a really poor performance by Eddie. Um, are we right to continue to persevere with Edouard Declan or is it a matter of time before he leaves the club in any case? I I think again, you know, last night is is down to not having anybody else to play because JP said, you know, when Ayeti came on, we were hearing all this bluster about, oh, come on and change the game. He never really did anything for me. So we persisted with him in pre-season. He saw a good couple of goals, but... I think again, you know, answering to play Edward and, and Christie is down to you know a, a lack of depth in the squad and and no other players been been in the team and to hark back to what JP was saying earlier on about transfer windows, but we're still in a situation here. Yes, we've got a manager, in, but we have no head of football operations, director of football, whatever you want to call that role, somebody who is in co- control of the transfers. When Nicky Hammond left the club, we still not um, replaced him. So again, we're, we're heading into a new season here with a, still a massive gap. And you know, in that kind of machine system, like if you like, of you know how signings get done, that you've got a head of football operations that oversees the whole project that the manager can go and talk to, which is again on the board not having somebody in there and not appointing somebody to that position because it's key, it's crucial. You you see how well other clubs have did with that, particularly the other team on the other side of the city with their appointment there to bring in players. So that again is on the board, but. For the young guys that came in last night, I thought they did particularly well because they're getting put into environments they just shouldn't have to be put into and they, they did nothing really to let us down because, again, I don't think last night's failure is in the 11 guys in the park. It's, it's a lot deep-rooted than that. 
It is. I am, and we will speak about some of the uh, the areas that the club are actually failing, and it's nothing new. I mean, we're, we're talking about four Champions League campaigns: AK Athens in 2018, Cluj, Varos, Midtjylland. Now, the last two, um, last season and this season, the club were in disarray. Previous to that, were uh, you know were dominating Scottish football. No one in any level of business can plan that we're going to enter these four group stages so underprepared, JP. I mean, we can't be so naive that anyone would plan that. Do they honestly think that we could get away with what we've got? And I don't just mean this season. You can go further back where we've got Julien and Bolingoli on the bench uh, against Cluj and, and Callum McGregor playing left back. You know, we've got £10 million worth of player on the bench and we bounce out to Clues unsurprisingly and as Declan says we proved later on that season that we were a better side you know we were just terribly underprepared so if there is a, a group of people in that boardroom who think that we're okay to enter these rounds or this level of the competition four years in a row um, so underprepared then surely their positions within Celtic Football Club are untenable 100% hundred percent. It's it's completely it's completely on them. They they make the decisions. They've saw us through to this. You know, you can talk all you want about quadruple trebles and everything else, and that obviously that is unprecedented. And, and it was an amazing experience, and will live with me forever. But all these like bouncing out of Europe moments will live with me forever as well. And it just, it's so frustrating because you see Callum McGregor last night scores an absolute worldie, right? Mm. One of the one of the best Celtic goals I've ever seen. Mm. That might be over the top. I don't know. I might still be, uh, you know, on cider fumes. I don't know. But um, I, I, I thought it was a phenomenal strike, great hit, and then you know you think, wow, we're here we go that we could we, we actually might do this, and it would be. Let's not let's not mince our words here. If we had got through last night. That would have been a Herculean like effort and result, uh, given the, the, what we had there. So I don't want them to point to that and go, "Well, you know, we 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 ran them close and it was just unlucky in the end." No, 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 no. That that should have been put to bed. That tie should have been put to bed. They weren't a great side. Everybody knows it. Sviatchenko is our captain. No disrespect to him, but we should have taken care of him. So we we should have been in a position as Celtic. <laughs> regardless of the fact that we're not the champions we should have been in a position to dispatch them what would what would have been would have been in the next round against PSV I don't even know the score from last night and what PSV did to Galatasaray 2-0 they won 2-1 7-2 in aggregate 7-2 in aggregate yeah. right well I mean that would have been terrifying you know going up against Mario Goza and uh, Zahavi you know I'm pretty sure you know it would have it would have made last night uh <laughs> seem like a, a, a bun fight, do you know what I mean? Like we would have been absolutely massacred in that game. I'm sure we would have been, but maybe we'd have had a couple of players in the door for those ties. Who knows? They're next week or something like that. So even then, nobody's going to be bedded in really for, for those ties. But right now, as a line in the sand, ne- as of next season, you know, th- this, this, this nightmare scenario that we have lived through so many times cannot happen again. Otherwise, it is heads rolling time and you know we've got to give the, the guy time to get the players in that we've signed hopefully sign more and and but, but the worrying thing is the, the league kickoffs on Saturday night mm. you know it's, it's not as if it's in a couple of weeks time 
these these games seem to come earlier and earlier and earlier all the time, and they've come earlier because of the the result of the, the league standings last season. And as as Russell pointed out on another uh, show, this this was a moonshot for us. We shouldn't have even been in this position. It was an absolute lucky dip. Almost the fact that we got the chance to go have a crack at the Champions League. We could have guaranteed ourselves Europa League last night if we'd have qualified uh, past them. We've got another opportunity against Jablonek, is it, next next week? Um, so we'll see how that goes. Hopefully get players in the door for that. But this board, as you said, and see for all these people that I've seen online going, oh, here we go, the Celtic fan media being negative and blah, blah, blah. What are you saying now? Seriously, what are you saying now? Have you, have you got, have, is there any defence that you have over this situation because I'd really love to hear it because, I mean, we've been saying this for ages. We've not been coming on here to be negative for the hell of it, but it's been staring us, screaming at us in the face and all last night did was just sign the letter and put it in the post. See, the thing, JP, right, you're absolutely spot on and this isn't a poor me and all this kind of stuff um, because do you honestly think I wouldn't rather be sitting here talking about a victory last night the mm-hmm. age of Ange, progress, because 100%, I know every single person involved in Axon would rather that was the case. I was talking to my mate David just before I came in. What are you going to talk about in the bulletin today? And I was like, well, you know, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> we're going to have to like uh, strip away what happened last night again. Now, we've got the post-match, Declan, which, you know, I've done enough for them now. We've covered the you know, every game last season, um, to know that you've got to check yourself before you come on live because emotions running high, disappointment and everything else. But I was quite scathing. I've got to say I was scathing off the board last night. And to be honest with you, I stand by every single word that I said last night. Uh, Jungle Lion comes in and makes a makes a, a point. If the Green Brigade have a banner out before Saturday, it will make the board more stubborn to do zero. I know exactly what you're saying here because there was a point last season where I felt the board were being stubborn or the club were being stubborn because they didn't want um, to to bow down to the demands of the Celtic support. And I felt that they would have felt at that time that uh, that influence is something that had they allowed the Celtic support to have such an influence, it, they might never have wrestled that power back. So they, they refused to act. And that, uh, you know, the, the famous or infamous incident after the Ross County game is the example I'm referring to. It's going to be a, bit stage, a wee stage further than that because one thing Neil Lennon certainly didn't do during all that was criticise the board or criticise any individual above himself at the club. And just done that. He's done it last night. He's hinted at it previously. Um, surely his voice is enough for these people who make the decisions um, in the highest reaches of Celtic Park to actually realise that we, we cannot rest on our laurels any longer. Massive changes, not just in the playing side, must be made and they need to be made immediately. I mean, we were calling for the changes weeks and months ago. So this this really is a huge indication that it's gone beyond frustration within the supporters when the manager's calling you out in the, in the post-match interviews. Well, Postacoglu was the board's man after 106 days of you know waiting, so... If his voice doesn't cut through, nobody's will because, you know, at that situation last year, they were able to kind of double down and batten the hatches. And, um, you know, as I said earlier on, that shield that they had maybe protecting them a bit in front of them, of no criticism is gone, that the manager and the support are now turning against them. So if that voice doesn't cut through to make any changes in terms of personnel coming in the door and other things, nothing will. 
And, you know, where we go from that is beyond me because we're in a situation here now that is getting worse. And uh, if things don't start to properly change, you know, I, I don't know where we go from here. Really don't. But his voice, I, I would hope, and I'd really, really hope that it would cut through to them that, that now that's been made public, they, they need to act and give him what he needs. Um, but, I mean, we're seeing stories in the week that Dermot Desmond's going to get involved in transfer dealings. Don't need to get involved, Dermot. Just give us the money and let the manager go and buy who he wants to. That's all we need. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only. Right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. But if that doesn't happen, as I said at the top of the show, I feel that the manager will walk out on them because I don't think he'll accept us. One of the, the points... JP that I was making last night was around the fact that as Declan quite rightly said there Demi Desmond comes out or or feeds a, a, a specific paper or a couple of papers a story that he's going to step in and, and you know changes on the, the playing side and the recruitment side are going to be made would it not be better if he sorted out the lacklustre nature of the boardroom at Celtic Park I mean, for years and years, we know that the 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 figurehead of that boardroom was Peter Lawwell, and you know the influence that he had at Celtic was was incredible. Uh, so so much so that you know when they start to unfurl banners of certain board members outside Celtic Park, a lot of fans didn't even know who they were. They were so anonymous, you know. I mean, they had played no real part in any massive uh, changes or decision making processes. It would appear. Uh, to us um, on the outside looking in. Surely Dermot Desmond needs to prioritise that. And as Declan says, let the football heads get on with the football department. Yeah, I think a, a major assessment has to be done of, you know, roles and decision-making that has been made. You know, as much as you want to criticise, sometimes people criticise the Green Brigade. You know, I have been a bit critical of them in the past for certain things, but I think I've been... I, I've. You know, I'm just a guy in, a, in the stadium. I'm not part of the Green Brigade. Or, or I think it's good though that they've 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 energised and vocalised the Celtic support and created an atmosphere at games home and away. Um, so you know, I just 
sort of rubber neck along and look and see what, the, what what's the banner this week or you know some of the banners they've done have been absolutely unbelievable particularly in Europe um, but sensational but I remember looking along and seeing during I can't remember I, I, th- I think it might have been 2019 or 20 it was either 2018 or 2018 and they had their, their usual font and it was this is how it feels to be Celtic uh, uh this is how it feels to be Celtic. Um, I didn't say champions again. Downsizing again, as you know, the Celtic board are gambling ten in a row. Right? That was that. I googled it last night and found it because I could remember. I knew it was something along those lines. And so, anybody that says that nobody's been saying this and nobody's been pointing this out, it was pointed out by the major fan group within the Celtic support. You know, yeah. and probably a lot of the people in the ground agreed with that. You know, it's not as if that comes out and then everybody votes and goes, oh, yes, I agree with that sentiment. But I agreed with it because I could see the way that things were going with the signings that were being made that has led us to this point. Absolute kamikaze signings, giving guys contracts that didn't deserve contracts. Marvin Comper, I mean, come on, like, really? Like, that's an insane, insane signing. Whoever scouted that guy, She'd never work in football again, and I'll go on I'd, record saying that. I'd go. I'd go a stage further. I mean, to to spend that kind of money, JP, and get sixty minutes out of the footballer against uh, lower league opposition in a cup mm. game must rank as one of the worst signings ever in Celtic's mm. history. I mean, listen, and you can't even base it on ability because we've only seen sixty minutes of the guy. So mm. terrible, terrible bit of business. But going back to these warnings, and you're spot on, and I think. Celtic have a history in terms of the fan base of being able to call out things pretty early on. I mean, we obviously have the absolute privilege of speaking to Jim Moore on a, a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Him and his cohorts were, were basically um, alerting Celtic fans uh, to the fact that there were issues at the club in the early 1990s, a good few years before Celtic for change and, and um, you know, Fergus McCann's takeover, etc. So Celtic fans have always called. I always remember reading the fanzines back in the day, Declan, in the 1980s, and you know, being amazed because it's easy if, if Celtic win the double in 1987-88 to get intoxicated by that success and that team, you know, with McAvenny and McStay, a great side to watch at that time, and not look, um, you know, under the bonnet and say, why is this club not competing on a financial level uh, with our greatest rivals at that stage? Why has this club got a stadium which is not fit for purpose, you know? And But the fanzines were asking the questions. We've always had a, no- a number of voices in the Celtic support who have been quick to notice that there was a rot. But at the same time, I don't always blame supporters, especially when the success is there, Declan, because you trust the custodians at the club who mm. are being paid handsomely to fulfil their role to identify it before we do. You would trust that, but it's not happened. Um, how do you think this will progress in relation to... Because it seems as though the the distrust um, that the Celtic fans have at the moment in the current incumbents of the Celtic boardroom is not going to improve anytime soon. Yeah, and uh, as I said, I, I don't know how that changes. I mean, obviously, the Celtic trust is a vehicle for that, but you know, to, to me, if there was any, going to be any major change in the boardroom or, you know, Dermot Desmond would either be a parting of the ways to hand it over to his son, Ross, or, you know, somebody else, the only person I can really think of that probably could buy out Dermot Desmond would be, be Willie Hockey, but I don't know if he'd be the person that would want to do that. So, 
you know, I, I don't know where this situation goes if, you know, Doomsday comes, say Postacoglu walks out, the, the growing, you know, the Celtic board can't escape like they did last year because people will be in the stadium. There will be people shouting, there will be banners, people will be booing. So if things don't change, you know, that that's the situation. You know, if I there was going to be any kind of major change there, because I just can't see, you know, unless Ross Desmond comes in and Dermot hands it over, changes in the boardroom as quick as we want. You know, guys like Tom Allison and Brian Wilson have been there a long, long time. It's too cosy. It's, you know, and as you said earlier on, Peter Lobo was the figurehead of that. He's gone now. And is it just, you know, let the executive team run it and the rest just kind of say, OK, that's fine, we trust you, just get on with it. But I don't know where this goes in terms of a long-term plan, whether it's that, Ross Desmond taking over from his father, or... um a fans group, you know, mobilising and then someday willing to put up the cash for it. But I, I don't know, unless anybody knows any multi-millionaires that fancy a, a football club, then be my guess. But I, I don't know where it goes at this point in time. I found it interesting that um, one of the names Declan mentioned there, uh, Willie Hockey, has, his name has popped up in conversations over the last week or so, uh, JP. What it show me, I don't know whether or not that, that is there's any truth in that, but what it does show is that there are people out there uh, with not only the business acumen, JP, but the, the creative uh, nature um, uh, to modernise. This is a big word we keep hearing from Don Mackay, um, but in order to modernise, you can't use the same out-of-touch figures who are at the club and who have got very, very comfortable at the club. You can't modernise them. You can't change the way that they work. You can't implement creative business strategies in their minds. Um, You can't allow them to have a different attitude towards the Celtic fan base because currently it feels as though all we are um, is good for is season ticket sales and merchandising sales and, you know, you will just go along with this and you won't question us. You can't modernise that way thinking, JP, and that's why, you know, that kind of level of change will be required before as a club, not just on the playing field, but, you know, when we're talking about strategic decisions, when we're talking about restructuring, modernising a football club or any business, you can't do it with the same staff. And you certainly can't do it in the number of days that, that, that Dominic Mackay has been in charge. You know, I mean, I think maybe people, some people would maybe be naive to think that, that you can do that. I've never been in charge of an organisation. as I've been in charge of any real organisation. I, I booked gigs at a club uh, in, in, in Edinburgh. It was a 250 capacity club, so I was... I was a, I was part of the responsibility of that, but I've never been at the head of an organisation like Celtic. So, but I can only imagine that right now, it's like steering a massive oil tanker, you know, back on course, and it's going to take you know a lot of time for that to to, to come back into into line. Um, and that's why I, I I don't really think that the blame could be laid at, at Dominic Mackay's doorstep because I think. If he's listening to this or watching this, I think he'll be agreeing with a lot of the stuff that we say. How could you not be? You know, the evidence is there. It's not not like we're providing evidence of all this major success in Europe. We get caught cold every single season. And it's now, it's now, it's actually almost laughable how insane it is that we have have found ourselves in this position. So, yeah, I think the whole thing has to be, has to be looked at and streamlined. And like I said before, we cannot be in this situation in a year's time. We have to have some sort of, uh, you know, calm. And, and, and the other thing as well is, and it is, it is something to worry about, Postacoglu walked out on his country because he didn't mm. like the way, that's his country. 
You know what I mean? Like uh, one of the highest honors you can have. And he didn't do it just because he didn't like the color of the strip or, you know, there was obviously fundamental problems going on there. Much the same way as Roy Keane walked out on Republic Island. I'm pretty sure Roy Keane didn't really want to walk out on Republic Island, but was so disgusted with the, the standards and everything else. And he was comparing it to Manchester United. It was unworkable. United. It was unworkable yeah, for comparing him. it to yeah. Manchester United. And, and, you know, people will, Rightly or wrongly, give him a hard time for that. Um, Postico, we walked out on, on Australia. I don't know the full details of why he did that, but I know that he did it. So I know that when it comes to something like this, if he isn't getting the backing and the support that he, he thinks he should, then uh, I would find it strange if he didn't get it from Dominic Mackay. I don't really know how the whole boardroom thing works and how everybody signs things off and all that sort of thing. But um, they're they're at the top of the tree and they're responsible for everything that's happened beneath them so yeah you know the big thing as well um, some people say that you overreact you know if it was a one-off this might be an overreaction but as we keep saying it's year on year same same issues same mistakes being made and by the way you can mark your words um, absolutely if if this kind of platform was around back in September um, August 2002 when we bounced out to Baal um, in the Champions League qualifier would still be giving Martin O'Neill and his team a hard time of course you would because that's that's what happens and yes we went on to have a fantastic European campaign albeit it ended in defeat in the final but yeah you would have reacted um, with what you saw in the park I mean you know what I mean JP you you looked at that Bal result having beaten them 3-1 at home um, as a bit of a disaster I didn't want to use the word uh, catastrophe or catastrophic because obviously Ange doesn't like that and I don't Mm. want Ange calling me mate I want him to call the board members mate (laughs) in that way that he does as if it's dead man's shoes but you know you react to the situation at the moment the situation is that we've gone out to a team as JP says Declan who are captained by Sviachenko now this is a point I made last night I like Eric Sviachenko um, there's a funny wee story about when he signed and uh, I was in a conversation with him and I made Ian Bankier wait to welcome the new the new signing to Celtic Football Club. It was quite funny, but that's because he was so polite that he actually wanted to speak to a Celtic supporter um, before talking to the chairman. Uh, so I've got a lot of time for Eric Sviachenko, but I wasn't that upset when he left Celtic Football Club and I wasn't that enamoured when we were uh, potentially linked with him this pre-season, Declan. However... He completely marked Odson Edward at the game last night. He had him in his back pocket. So th- there's an issue with your your system where you can take a player who I don't think should be a, a first pick at Celtic. He maybe would get a game at the moment. And that player absolutely nullifies who should be your biggest threat last night. What did you make of that last night on both parts? The fact that you know we know Sviachenko inside out. Every player on that park who's played with him knows his weaknesses. They've seen him on a training park. We all know he's slow, he's immobile, right? But he was still able to play. So he could play Edward because he knew Edward. Edward couldn't play him. I found that I found that one of the biggest disappointments last night, I've got to say. Yeah, and yeah, to on Twitter, you, you've seen how much it meant to Magellan last night. They've got a photo up in the dressing room and they're all huddled around it. Um, so it kind of shows how much it meant to them as a club. And again, they're a club who, I think, Dom McKay, you know, when he these first press conferences spoke about you know comparing ourselves to I looked at the methods of Brentford and, and Midland. Midland have set up a a, a fee-paying school I think that they, they want to develop you as a person not just as a football player in terms of leadership qualities and everything else um, they're only 22 years of age 
they're on a journey then they have clear direction in that journey something I think we badly badly lack um, but yeah you know Taysom to Eric Fitchenko last night I thought he, he played well and, and again you know was that in the part of Edward just maybe not, not really you know his head being elsewhere because you know probably if he if sat, if, Last night wasn't his last game. Saturday ultimately probably will. I do imagine the player will, will make that switch to, to Brighton. So I don't know if it's on that part, but certainly in terms of preparation, in terms of linkages, you know, Sweetjink would have got a game in that Celtic back four last night. And again, it just sums up the whole situation of players that we could have had, we did have, and let go to put us in a situation where we're having to rely on two young lads playing at, at centre-back last night. Now, there's another young youngish player playing in the defence last night as well, JP. And I'm going to bring it up, right? Because, yeah, we can talk about the goalkeeper situation. We can talk about uh, that famous quote that came from JP Mason, that his head's out the door and his boots can follow him. And we're now saying that about Eduard, probably. Um, but, you know, Anthony Ralston comes in for an incredible amount of criticism. Um, I know his limitations. I think he actually knows his limitations. Last night, I couldn't. I couldn't find any kind of criticism uh, to be levied at Anthony Ralston, and I think it's only fair that you praise where praise is due. And I thought he equipped himself particularly well. Um, you know, he can hit a byline and get a crossover, showed that quite a few times. He's brave, he's committed, he threw himself in front of a couple of shots that might have given Bain something to think about. Mm-hmm. Is it about time that we realise that, you know, he's become a bit of a whipping boy, isn't he, JP? He has. Um, but I think it's people always add in the sort of caveat that you know it's not his fault. You know, it's not. It's you know, we, we we're not. Nobody's having a real go at him uh, for for you know not playing at the standards that we maybe think uh, a Celtic right back should be playing at. I would have no problem with Anthony Ralston being uh, a, a squad member or being backup right back or playing a number of games in in uh, in, in domestic football. I just don't think that he's potentially good enough like to go beyond what we would have gone beyond last night you know if we'd have faced PSV for example you know PSV would have been a completely different prospect and then beyond that uh, Champions League I think was was there even another round after that there probably was wasn't there I think there was maybe was there another round after PSV uh, I, I don't know maybe yeah, there was there would have been another round after PSV yeah yeah right so you've got another challenge after that and then the actual Champions League itself so, without any disrespect to Anthony Ralston, should he be starting in the Champions League group stage for Celtic? Absolutely no way. I don't think so. But, you know, I thought he played well last night. He played well against a not great Michelin team. Do you know what I mean? They're not, they're not, they weren't miles and miles ahead of us. We took them to extra time. We took them to extra time with that defence. Mm. You know that's that's wild that that happened. Really, to be honest, um, and I, I think that's credit to to Postecoglou. And you know, I don't. I've, well, we've not apportioned any blame on this show to him, and I don't think nor nor should there be. Um, maybe some people do have doubts over him uh, based on last night. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. I, cer- I certainly don't. And, and if anything, I've, I've got more confidence in them because of last night. <laughs> because we didn't embarrass ourselves, you know. Yes, we lost to, you know, preventable goals. Mm-hmm. We lost preventable goals because of a of, a, of a, an inexperienced defence, you know, which he was forced to play. Forced to play. Yeah, yeah. I actually it. think I actually think the most uh, experienced defender was the guy who switched off for the first goal. I thought Greg Taylor was way out of position. The boy had five or six yards on him, and it, it shouldn't happen at that stage mm-hmm. in your career as a defender because you're mm-hmm. a defender first and foremost. So no, you're absolutely right there. And again, fine margins. JP Jamesy Forrest, couple of chances. Oh, yeah. You know, um, they go up and they really are ruthless, and we've seen that so often in Europe. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of comments like this coming through from the Celtic support. Marty McKay, the board is morphing into the Kellys and the Whites at breakneck speed. I can only assume that they make more personal wealth from player transfers than the club qualifying for the the Champions League. Now, the reason I bring it up is because. Uh, obviously, I remember uh, the Kellys and the Whites, and I remember the takeover and, and going to the games throughout that entire period uh, and being totally immersed in the, the fanzine culture that became your Bible, JP, because I was a young kid at the time and people that knew a lot more about business and football and Celtic than I did were informing me. It was almost an education, and you got that education on the supporters' bus all the way through from Fife and then in the, fa- the pages of the fanzines on the way home. And that, that's how you kind of you know, digested info. Nowadays, you listen to podcasts and you can uh, form opinions or or strengthen opinions or disagree with people uh, that way. Back then, you know, I think that the the whole fanzine culture was very important in the way that my mind was uh, almost politicised to to the way that a football club's run. Because at that age, I should have been thinking about Paul McStay and all that kind of stuff and winning trophies. But I'm thinking about uh, the Taylor Report and building new stadiums and takeovers and going public. And, you know, for someone who's... Canvas Lang. I I remember the the front cover. The horse... With the ground, and he put a horse on it for two weeks. I think Kevin Kelly to prove that it wasn't um, chemicals. I, it. <laughs> I didn't know yeah. that's outrageous. The horse, horse in the, the ground for Brilliant. two weeks. I think it's in the one of the books. You see him standing with the horse. He phoned up somebody and he said, I oh, know somebody that's got a horse, we'll put that on it and that'll prove that the Grimm's thing. Only Celtic. You know, back then, only you know Celtic. That horse, by the way, it seemed to disappear however quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason I bring it up, the reason I bring it up is as much as. Um, you know, you look back on that that situation, and rightly so, because the club was not being run properly. I don't think it was due to any kind of deceitful um, kind of means. You know, it wasn't as though um, there was there was any doubt that the people, um, the Whites and the Kellys, obviously they'd been born into a football club. That you know, there was a whole dynasty uh, of their family within that football club. It's just that they did not have the competence to run a club. 
at that stage, JP. You know, the, the people at the club didn't have the, comp- the competence, uh, the business acumen. Uh, they didn't have the wealth to invest in the club. They tried to make changes by bringing people like Brian Dempsey and, and uh, David Dallas smith and, and Terry Cassidy because they thought that they had the wealth and the business acumen. And that didn't work either. And eventually it all uh, tapered away. Uh, what happened back then is that there was a real no confidence amongst a huge amount of the supporters in the Celtic board. What's different this time round, Declan, I would suggest, is that it's suggested by the comments made by Ange Postacoglu that there's a no confidence from within the club. Um, on the football side of the club, we don't know what Don McKay's thoughts on it. JP alluded to that earlier. Surely him walking into that situation would be unha- unhappy with it as well. I'm pretty sure that is the case, but we can't confirm that. But it is slightly different this time round, Declan, because yeah. you know it's not just the supporters who are unhappy with the way the club's being run. Yeah, that's an internal problem. Being you know big red flags getting waved at his last night and. As I said earlier, on, you know, the, the board probably benefited from a shield that they had in that time of the nineties. You know, Lou McCarry and whoever else wasn't coming out and criticising the board. Obviously, uh, Billy McNeil loses his job, but walks out the front door to kind of say, you know, get nothing to really, you know, say that I shouldn't walk out the front door here. And um, but you know, the other guys in positions there, but before the takeover, you know, probably didn't criticise the board like Lou McCarry or Brady. Whereas um, at this point in time, we've got the manager waving a big red flag. And again, you know, how much influence and power does Don McKay actually have within that building at this moment in time? Is, is Dermot Desmond still directing traffic from his hotel, probably, wherever he is, and pulling strings if he's not playing golf or, or watching horse racing? So I don't really know the influence and, and control that they have in the boardroom. And again, that is a worry. But if the manager can't cut through, then I think we're in for a real uh, heck of a ride. Declan, you, you've told me something I didn't know about the club and I love that and it happens a lot where people give you wee bits of information I cannot remember the picture of would it have been Michael or Kevin Kelly with a horse at Canvas Lang Kevin Kelly, I'm going to have to dig that out I've got most of the books around about that period but obviously it started up the discussion Sherga, at that point it, it probably wasn't even a real horse, it would have been a pantomime horse and there would have been somebody at the front and the back wouldn't there, because Celtic were a bit of a pantomime back mm. then JP, we've spoken about the um, um, the heads out the door, the feet should follow. What's your thought on uh, Edward at the moment, JP? Uh, you know, uh, it's it's been so frustrating like the last year just watching uh, players, I guess, not being in the stadium. And I, I guess I never thought I would see Odds and Edward play a game for Celtic again. I'd kind of resigned myself to the fact that he would probably leave as soon as the transfer window opened. But it's obviously, it's not it's not the case that, players are just getting moves at the moment like they would maybe want to because I still, I've said this before, I still think the transfer market is in a weird, weird state of flux. I, d- I don't think it's as, you know, you know, you, you see the sort of money they're flying about down in England. It's, it's not flying about as readily, I don't think, uh, as it has been in the past. I think they're being very wary. Um, and I certainly would have thought that we would have been looking to sell odds and Edward to a higher calibre of club than, than Brighton. No disrespect to Brighton, but I mean, come on. I, I, when we've seen Edward flying, there's absolutely no way you'd be thinking, oh, well, maybe he could get a move to Brighton. You know, you're thinking a higher, higher uh, uh, ceiling than that for him. So I don't know. I, I, I find it very hard to get anti-Edward. I, and last night, I don't think he obviously didn't play well. He didn't score. 
and he didn't really have a lot of opportunities to score when he when he should have had against you know a defence that he should he should be having joy against. Like you said, Sviatchenko knows him. He knows Sviatchenko. Why did he not? You know, why did the players not say this is his weaknesses? You know, go for yeah. this, go for that. You know, it, it just it just seems strange. But, it does. It does, JP. That you know the point that was made after the first leg is that Stephen Mills gives away a free kick. Sviatchenko goes over and speaks to the free kick taker and and tells him that keeper's rubbish. You know, he says something in his ear, right? Now, Sviatchenko didn't even play with Barkas, you know, but anybody who's watched Celtic over the last 18 months, and I know Sviatchenko keeps an eye on the club. Of course he does. We've had an impact on him, and, and he's always speaks so highly of Celtic. So he's given him a, a wee bit of info there. These are players that have played and trained with Sviatchenko over a period of time, JP. And we should know his weaknesses. And there are weaknesses in his game. Somebody piped up there earlier to say that PSV are going to take them to the cleaners. I think they probably will. I think PSV will take Michelin to the cleaners. 100%. You know, um, and I I always want Celtic to progress. Of course I do. But it could have got a wee bit uh, embarrassing, you know, unless we strengthen in a big, big way between now and the next set of fixtures. Because these fixtures come in so quickly, JP as well. Uh, We're going to ask a few questions about uh, upcoming games, uh, big one Saturday night, Declan McConville. Have you any concerns about that? It's a different uh, a different game entirely. Starfelt should be in the building by then. Yeah, I think he'll probably play on Saturday again. I kind of you know fire them right in and a game that a place it's always difficult to go to. Um, I'm sure Hearts will probably be out to get a bit of revenge on us as well after the Scottish mm. Cup final last year. They'll make it a bit of a a difficult game, um, so that will come into it but again. You know, it's always quite a, it's a good away day, Tynecastle. There's not going to be any Celtic fans in there. I believe there's going to be two thousand uh, no, Jambos fans in five thousand, even uh, worse, yeah. five thousand Jambos fans in Tynecastle. So um, I'm sure they'll make a bit of an atmosphere. It's um, yeah, we'll, we'll see a player's character, but again, it's always a tough place to go in. As I say, I'm sure Hearts will probably you know have their tails up after you know. Missing out so narrowly to us in the Scottish Cup final last year, so it's going to be tough. But you know we need to pick ourselves right back up, and you know maybe putting staff out in there a bit of experience and another player in the door likely not. But um, yeah, we'll just wait and see how it goes. Could Ahashi could maybe make his, his debut off the bench? I don't know. I think he flew in on the twentieth of July, so you know probably about isolation on Friday. Whether he make the bench for Saturday is another story, another question. But um, yeah, it's going to be tough. Any, to any other changes based on the the two Michelin games, Deck? Any other changes that you'd make? Um, I, again, I think they lack depth in the squad, Paul. So I, I don't know what, what changes you probably would be able to make. Whether you know Shaw would maybe come into the team. I didn't, you know, again you'd be dropping Soren, but it'd probably be a bit harsh. Mm. Again, I thought Abada played well. Christie had a, a, a shift. Um, so Georgie never did anything when he came on last night. Who goes and goes? Yeah, you never did. It. It's a good point. It's probably the same. It's a good point because yeah, I said this last night because Brian um, is very much of the view that we we play or buy a keeper that, that plays to Angie's strengths and I think it's a good argument, a very good argument that he makes very well. When I see Bain getting the ball at the edge of his box though and trying to do things that if it was a centre-half doing them right in front of a striker, you, you would have your heart in your mouth, you know, shimmying and all this kind of stuff, JP. I'm not buying into that. 
Now, I can see why the, the sweeper-keeper is something in the modern game that you want to have to retain possession. But, you know, sometimes it is better to clear your lines, isn't it? And I, I, some people might think I'm being old-fashioned. I'd much rather that than being at the edge of his box trying to take on a player. I don't like seeing that from a goalkeeper. No, it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. And uh, I, I was really surprised that he played Bain last night over, over Barkas. I thought he would have... I mean, Barkas's confidence now must be... I mean, if it was shot before getting dropped for that game last night, I mean, there was no there was no talk of an injury. He was on the bench, so he was clearly fit. This was, was a it was a, a tactical decision and a, a decision based on his mindset or whatever. And, you know, as a result of Saturday, I, I, I you know I really was surprised by that, and it and it does say a lot about what's going on behind the scenes with with, with Barkas. He really mm. he really must be struggling, I would imagine, because. Otherwise, you'd expect him to be like putting his hand up, saying, "No, no, no, I want to play this game," you know, blah, blah, blah. But that, that's not what happened. And, and again, um, seeing this to Alex Ferguson, sorry to interrupt, JP, and the, right. the film about him. Um, there's a story on it with Jim Leighton. Kind of mind what FA Cup final it is, and uh, I think it's Palace in ninety yeah. nineteen ninety. And um, he drops him because he, his head's he's in the right place, and since Aye. then, um, for you know. 31 years Jim Leighton's never spoken to Sir Alex Ferguson since that so oh yeah that's what again, I, yeah, I think I read that you know, yeah. as you're saying in terms of you know relationship there between the manager he's dropped them now and I don't know if there's going to be any way back for them after that now it's just but there's been yo-yo yo-yo goalkeeper for so long you know last season there was also there was a different keeper all the time and one minute Lennon saying he's my number one and then the next thing he's out, and then and we're I, back it, to the same. We're doing the same. I <laughs> and see just before I forget, you know how there was a chat that Dermot Desmond was apparently uh, miffed at Hamden that day in the semi final, and the, the 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 story goes that you know he saw the 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 Rangers uh, chairman or whoever they were celebrating, and he was like, right, this isn't happening again. Let's let's just let's let's put our foot on their neck and. You know, destroy them basically, and then we win the next four trebles. Mm-hmm. Why does he not get? Does he not get annoyed about the European uh, losses in the same manner, or does he just? Is it too deep? Does he have to go too deep into his pocket to to actually uh, to correct to correct a European situation? Because the European situation, we are miles behind mm-hmm. in Europe, and currently we're miles behind in, in domestically as well. If you go on last season, the fact that we finished with nothing and 25 points behind Rangers. But we are so far behind in Europe that it would take a lot of money, a serious amount of money to get us competing at Champions League level if you're talking short in a short-term fix. So I think it's almost like, no, nah, I can't go that deep in my pockets to do that. So I'll just, you know, just let it keep happening. I think you're right. I do. I, I, I just don't think that comes into the strategy at all, and that's ah, part of the problem. Surely, so. surely if you're if you're arced at an, a, a, a defeat to a lower league side in in a, in a a national competition on penalty kicks at Hamden, surely you look at that result last night and you get mad with that, and you're like, wait a minute, these guys are minnows, you know, Cluj, Ferenc Varos, these guys, we're Celtic, we shouldn't be getting beat off these teams in qualifying matches. But I think that's what the obsession of the domestic games did to us for over the past 10 yeah. years. You yeah, know, that, a pretty good, that yeah. long list of Maribors, Malmos, Cluj, Ferenc, Varos, Athens, oh. last night to add to it, and um, 
has became that you know we just focus too much on the domestic game. It's all very well as fans having an obsession with ten in a row as it was, but for the board it became an obsession that then they just switched off and they switched mm-hmm. off in the last well the last few seasons of that, but switched off altogether in European football. It's the same last season when we were getting the horse by Sparta Prague and even to go back to Roni going out that second season to Malmo, that mm-hmm. European success or failure doesn't, you know, it doesn't merit whether you keep your job or lose your job because it's kind of like a, a free hit to, to Celtic managers at this point in time, European mm-hmm. football, it appears. It seems that way. It seems as though the club have completely different um, objectives and ambitions when it comes to European football than a huge amount of the Celtic fan base, yeah. Declan. And you said horse again, so you've obviously got a horse on the mind. You're <laughs> going to have to dig out that picture of uh, Kevin Cale's horse for me. Find it. <laughs> Absolutely. Before we go, I've just got to uh, declare my love of JP Celtic away strip. I remember it well. The wee velvety badge. It's got that velvety texture, isn't it? Well, um, yeah, it's, it's, oh, it does. I and it's just. I thought. Well, it's it's harking back to. There's been a lot of nineties chat today about you know, uh, Celts for change and sack the board and whatnot. So. What better top to have on for that? Time? Absolutely. I remember though, if you're going to go for a run, you know it's a bit like sandpaper behind that crest, uh, JP. So be careful. Um, thanks everybody for for joining us in the comment section on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for getting involved. We're on every single weekday at twelve thirty. This is a Celtic state of mind. Thank you to Declan McConville and JP Mason. We'll be back at twelve thirty tomorrow. live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount time. Let's get you taken care of. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Network.